Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. The Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, we continue in our series entitled The Big Story of the Bible, finding our place in God's story. You see, the Bible tells one big unified story that finds its climax in Jesus. And so it's the story of God and it's the true story of the world. And I invite you to find your place within the story. And today we're still in Act 5, the story of the church, spreading the good news of the King. And today we're still in scene 3, a gospel people. Now, what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel simply means good news and is referring to the good news of Jesus. Hopefully you remember from last time how on the day of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit filled a, a small gathering of Jewish believers and their hearts were set on fire and they boldly proclaimed the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus. And in a very short space of time, the gospel spread like wildfire from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And we were also introduced to a guy called Saul, a.k.a. Paul, this one-time persecutor of the church who does this massive U-turn when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he becomes this, this great missionary who takes the gospel into modern-day Turkey and then eventually all the way into Europe. But today I want to focus on the question, what exactly is the gospel? Now, many people believe that the gospel is all about having my sins forgiven. And of course, it includes that. But it's, it's much, much more than just having your sins forgiven. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And that means that new creation has already begun. 
that the, the kingdom of God is already breaking into the world and Jesus is the king over this new creation. It means that Jesus, through his death on the cross, has dealt with the curse of all creation. He has dealt with the mess that we've made of the world so that everything can be made new. And that includes us. We too can be forgiven and cleansed and made new again. And so the gospel is not just the message we proclaim. The gospel is the power of God. It's the, it's the power of God to renew and heal creation by the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God to renew and heal creation, and that includes us. And Paul unpacks the significance of the gospel for us personally in a number of passages, like Romans chapter 3, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, or 2 Corinthians 5, or Galatians chapter 2, and so on and so on. But today I want to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 1 to 10. Now we discover a number of things in this passage. Firstly, we read in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Firstly, what we discover is that we were all dead in our transgressions and sins. Now, sin is essentially being in a broken relationship with God. You see, when the, the first human couple grasp for that fruit of autonomy when when they decided to define good and evil on their own terms rather than trusting God what they were essentially doing was turning their backs on God and that resulted in death breaking into God's good creation sin first of all leads to a relational death because we're in a broken relationship with God because we've turned our backs on God we are relationally dead. We are no longer connected to God. We're no longer in that right relationship with God. We are relationally dead. And secondly, it leads to a vocational death. You see, God created us for, for a plan and a purpose. God created us to be the image of God. He created us to reflect his image, to reflect His love and His justice and His compassion in our own unique way to the rest of creation. But because we're in this broken relationship, because we turned our backs on God, we, we no longer reflect the image of God the way we should. We are vocationally dead. And this ultimately leads to a physical death. Because we're in this broken relationship, because we've turned our backs on God, death has broken into God's good creation and it leads to a physical death and ultimately it leads to an eternal death. And Paul writes in verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. All of us belong to this realm 
of death. You see, we have all grasped for that fruit of autonomy. We've all decided to define good and evil on our own terms. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. There is greed and selfishness and self-centeredness within our hearts. There is evil in my heart. And, and it's like a disease. It's like a, a, a virus, a, a cancer. And it leads to death. However, we read in verse 4 and 5, but, uh, this is one of the great buts in the Bible, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Because of God's great love for us, he has made us alive with Jesus. In other words, in Jesus, we are firstly restored to a right relationship with God. Forgiveness. Secondly, we rediscover our vocation. And thirdly, we receive everlasting life. This is what it means to be made alive with Jesus. And this salvation, this being made alive with Jesus, is firstly motivated by the love of God. We read in, in verses 4 and 5, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. It's motivated by the love of God. Secondly, it's all by the grace of God. We read in verses 8 and 9, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. In other words, it's a free gift. What exactly is this free gift? Well, some have suggested that this free gift is, is faith. But, but that doesn't make any sense. The free gift that has been referred to over here is the gift of salvation. It's been made alive in Jesus. And, and this salvation is a free gift. There is absolutely nothing you can do to earn this gift. Because it's free. Why is it free? It's free because Jesus has already paid the price in full when he died for us on the cross. And therefore, number three, this gift is received through faith. We read in verse 8, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, faith is not merely intellectual agreement to, to a, a set of Christian teachings. No. Faith is putting your trust in Jesus. Faith is following Jesus. And so it always leads to actions. But these actions don't earn our salvation. They merely appropriate what Jesus has already earned for us on the cross. And so, although we are not saved by good works, we are saved for 
good works. We read in verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. To be the image of God, to reflect His image and to reflect His love and justice and compassion in our own unique way to a dying and hurting world. You see, the gospel, the good news, is not about having your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. You know, it doesn't say, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go to heaven. It doesn't say that. The good news, the gospel is, we can have our sins forgiven so that we can be restored to a right relationship with God. So that we can become the renewed humanity, the image of God. And then it's through us, through the, the, the renewed humanity, that God is going to restore and renew the whole cosmos. This is the good news. And this is the gospel that Paul preached. And this is the big story of the Bible. I can remember when I was still a teenager having this, this real desire to, to be liked and accepted, to, to be loved. And I can remember looking up to all the guys who I perceived to be, be popular. You know, those who were in the in crowd, the, the cool guys whom everyone loved. And, and I would try to be like them. I would try to be cool. And the other thing I would try and do, I would try and do well at sport. Uh, I thought, well, if I was to do really well at sport, then surely people would, would accept me and like me. And I'd have this, this feeling of, of being loved and being popular. And I did excel in a number of sports. I, I did really well in, in water polo uh, and uh, wave, wave ski surfing. Uh, if you don't know what wave ski surfing is, it's kind of similar to, to kayak surfing. And I can remember making the, the, the provincial team, the, the county team for both for water polo and for, for wave ski surfing. But nothing really seemed to change. Uh, I still felt that there was something missing in my life. I still had this desire to be liked and accepted, to, to, to be loved. And so eventually I thought, well, if I was to win the, the South African under-19 wave ski surfing competition, if I was to win that competition, surely then I would have this feeling of being accepted and liked, of being popular and of being loved. Surely then I would have this feeling of being fulfilled and satisfied. And I can remember going to compete in that competition and taking part in the competition. And I can remember winning that competition. I can remember going up onto the podium and lifting up my trophy, holding it up in the high in the sky. And everyone was cheering. And then people were coming up and congratulating me. Everyone was coming up and congratulating me. Even people I didn't even know were, were coming up and congratulating me. And I thought to myself, yes. This is what I've been looking for. I felt so fulfilled, so satisfied. I felt so popular. I felt so liked and loved. And I thought to myself, yes, yes, finally I found what I'm looking for. Until the next day, when I came to the realization that nothing had changed. It was some time after that that 
my, my girlfriend at the time invited me to come along to church with her. I, I can't remember anything the preacher said that night, but at the end of his talk, he gave an opportunity for people to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior by simply raising their hand. And something inside of me said, yes, yes, this was the right thing to do. It was as if the, the Holy Spirit was witnessing with my spirit that this was the right thing to do. And so I raised my hand. In fact, there were three of us who, who raised our hand on that day. At the, after uh, the, the preacher prayed for us, another guy came and he explained the good news of the gospel to me. And it was there that I discovered how much God loved me, that he loved me so much that he, he died for me. And you know what the most amazing thing was? There was absolutely nothing I needed to do nor could do to earn that love. Did you know how mind-blowing that was for me? My whole life I've been trying to do things to earn people's acceptance and love. I've been trying to, to be cool. I've been trying to do well at sports so people would like me and accept me and love me. But what I discovered through Jesus' death on the cross was that God loved me unconditionally. That there was absolutely nothing I could do to make God love me more. And there was absolutely nothing I could do to make God love me less. And when I was confronted with this amazing love of God, it demanded a response from me. And I decided there and then to surrender my life to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. The other thing the guy said to me that evening was, this wasn't a coincidence that I was there. That God had a plan and a purpose for my life. I can't tell you how excited I was at the reality that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. I mean, I was on cloud nine when I left church that night. There was just one problem. I had no idea what that plan and purpose was. Sometime later, I went to a, a big youth rally. There were like loads and loads of youth there. And the guest speaker walked up onto stage. As he walked up to stage, he had a surfboard under his arm. And as he walked up onto stage, he held up his surfboard. And he said, I'm going to surf for Jesus. And I went, brainwave. That's my plan and purpose. I'm going to wave ski surf for Jesus. And I was so excited. I was back on cloud nine because I had discovered God's plan and purpose for my life. Problem number two. How on earth do you serve for Jesus? I mean, I had no idea. I was completely clueless. So, so what I did is I took one of those fish stickers. You know those fish stickers people put on the back of their car? I took one of those fish stickers and I stuck it onto the nose of my surfboard. As if that was surfing for Jesus. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could walk along the beach and say, hey, check my fish. I don't know. I was completely clueless. But what it did do was every time I would put, it, put my board in the water to go out for a surf, I would see that fish. And it would remind me that I need to be different. You don't have to be a surfer to know that the surfing culture is not the most godly of cultures. Now, surfers are normally these laid back, chilled out guys. Unless the, the surf spot is overcrowded and there's not enough waves. Then it, then it can become quite a, quite a hostile environment. And I can remember once going to an overcrowded surf spot that was pretty hostile. As I was paddling out, 
Uh, I remember seeing this guy, he was riding along his wave and all of a sudden someone else dropped in on his wave. Now, in surfing, we have this rule that only one person is allowed on a wave at a, at a time. Uh, and anyhow, so this guy was surfing along and this other guy dropped in, but he didn't just drop in, he kind of made the wave break. He surfed at the top of the wave, so the wave would break onto the other guy, wiping him out, and then he carried on surfing along the wave. When the first guy uh, emerged from underwater, he started swearing and cursing at the other guy, and that guy was swearing and cursing back at him. And I, I, I'm still just paddling out. Uh, very next wave, uh, I see another guy catch a wave, he's riding along, and again, someone drops in on him. But this time, the guy who caught the wave first managed to surf really fast, and then he dive-tackled. I kid you not, he rugby-tackled the guy right in front of me. And then they started swearing and cursing at each other and threatening all kinds of bodily damage. And yeah, I was still just paddling out. And I thought to myself, I need to be different. Sometime later when I caught a wave and I was riding along, someone dropped in on my wave. And so I thought, well, I need to be different. So I just kicked out of the wave and let him have it. A little bit later, I paddled up to him. And as I was paddling up to him, I could see him tensing up. He was kind of getting ready for the fight, for the, for the argument. Uh, and I paddled up to him and I said, hey, I'm sorry, was, was that your wave? And he said, um, uh, no, um, sorry. And I said, hey, I, I'm Mike and I'm from down the coast. And we, we started talking. A little while later, uh, I was paddling for a wave. It was a really good wave was coming through. I was paddling for the wave and someone else tried to, to cut me off. Uh, and steal the wave from me in, in surfing terminology that's called snaking and uh, something you really don't want to do but again I thought I need to be different and so I said to him hey hey do, do you want the wave you can have it he was so shocked he almost fell off his surfboard he just managed to correct himself in time to catch the wave and then he paddled out a bit later and he came up to me and said hey thanks for the wave and I said hey I'm Mike and I'm from down the coast and we started chatting and suddenly the, the whole environment started to change. And I thought to myself, this is what it means to serve for Jesus, to bring God's peace in a hostile environment. And you know what? Surfing for Jesus is good fun. And this is what it means to be the image of God. This is what it means to, to reflect God's image, to reflect God's love and justice and compassion in our own unique way to a dying and hurting world. And for the rest of my life, to the best of my ability and by the grace of God, I've always tried to follow Jesus and be like Jesus wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. And on my faith journey, I've never forgotten that God loves me unconditionally, that He wants a relationship with me, and that He's got a plan and a purpose for my life. And it's the same for you. If you were the only person in the whole world, Jesus would have come and died for you because He loves you and He wants a relationship with you and He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. So let's receive the gospel. Let's live the gospel. And let's share the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we cannot adequately put into words how wonderful 
It is to know, to, to really know that your love for us doesn't depend on how good we are or how successful we are or how spiritual we are or how sorted we are. Rather, it only depends on how good you are. Father, we thank you that you love us because you love us because you love us. And we thank you that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that we could ever do in the future to make you love us more than you do now. And we thank you that there is nothing we could do or, or, or fail to do in the future to make you love us any less than you do now. And so Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives to, to be the image of God. Help us. And empower us by your Holy Spirit to be your image bearer. To be the person you've created us to be and called us to be. Help us to live for Jesus. And if you haven't received this love into your life, why don't you do that right now? By simply praying this prayer. Heavenly Father, please forgive me. For all the things I've done wrong. And please pour your love into my life by the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So that I can become the person you've created me to be. So that I can live for Jesus. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.